0: How about blessing these uh, musicians up here this morning? Justin and Mike and Jeff and Brittany. Amen. I tell you, the praise and worship team is just awesome. I don't know where you'd go and get better than that. I don't think you can. That was just That's good as it gets, ain't it? And I love and these new songs they've came out with these last few weeks, man. Those are awesome. Just awesome. Awesome message in those songs. And, and love it. Amen. Won't you turn around and hug somebody or high five them or whatever you perceive they're comfortable with and tell them welcome to Grace Point? Amen. I, uh, so glad to have my buddy uh, from the big Atlanta, Todd Johnson. Y'all wouldn't make him feel welcome sitting here with me. <laughs> glad he's here. He's not my buddy. He's my spiritual son in the Lord. Amen. He's my Timothy, and I'm his Paul. Hallelujah. Amen. How I many knows what I mean by that? Hallelujah. And it's good to be connected. You know, that's the thing about what Joanna was saying. You know, you don't go through this stuff alone. You have a... You have a family. Uh, The Bible says God sets the solitary in family because we're all solitary without the family of God. Amen? Amen. I want to read two verses uh, this morning as we get started. Colossians 2 and 10, chapter 2, verse 10. And then I want to read one from the book of Ephesians, the fourth chapter and the 24th verse. Um, The day that you began your new life in Christ Jesus the day that you were born again. Uh, I want you to understand that you were you were fully formed in that moment. Uh, the new you is really new. It's not the old you with the paint job. Okay? The old you was so bad and broken that you had to die. And you had to be born a new creation in Christ Jesus. Uh and the Bible says here in Colossians 2 that you are literally complete in Him. And if you really believe that, that will stop you from praying a lot of foolish prayers like we just need more of you, God, or whatever. Uh, now, I won't say something that's going to bother some people probably because it's such a popular Christian thing to say. And the popular Christian thing to say is don't judge me yet, God's still working on me, which is not true. You're working on you, But God's not working on you. God's completed his work on you when you were born again. So God's not working on you. Sorry for all the Facebook posts that say that he is, but he's not. Uh, And uh, if he's still working on you, then apparently he's not doing a good job because it's taking a long time. Hello now. But let's just see what the scriptures are. And when I say that, I'm talking about your born-again spirit. I'm not saying in what you and I manifest out to the world to see. I realize we're not perfect examples of what God's done on the inside, but you've got to understand the part of you that became immediately new, holy, and righteous was your spirit man. And then you have a soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, your emotional part of you. Uh, that's why that soul needs to be renewed, your mind renewed, Romans 12 and 1. And then you have a body. Now, God didn't do anything with your body when you got saved. Whatever size you was when you knelt, you was the same size when you got up. Hello? It'd be nice to get saved and all this be perfect in physical form, wouldn't it? I'm like, well, I believe I'll go get saved and drop a few pounds. I mean, it just doesn't work that way. God leaves that up to you, right? Colossians 2.10, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power, you are complete in him. Say, I am complete. I am complete. All right, Ephesians 4.24 says that put on the new man, which was created. When was he created? According to God, when you were born again. Now, you got to understand that you were created in that moment of that new creation. You were created in your spirit according to God. In other words, God was the pattern that he used to for you to be born again, you were created according to God. Notice what it says: in true righteousness. Righteousness is what received, not achieved. And holiness, holiness is not something you ever arrive at. You don't live good enough to be now holy. Holiness is like righteousness; it is a gift. You may be seated. You you, you are God's masterpiece. You're you're. And listen, God made you perfectly capable of communicating with him. Jesus said, "My sheep know my what? my voice." And so, uh if he uh, Hebrews 10:14, this is what it says. Hebrews 10:14 says, "By one offering, and that's talking about Jesus' crucifixion, he has perfected forever them that are sanctified." Now, he has perfected us where in our spirit person. And so, listen. When when you get the revelation of this, um, uh, of the of the work that God actually done on the cross and what that means to us, then then all the pressure on you to perform and to improve yourself evaporates. Uh, The pressure is off of you because it is a finished work that Jesus has done. And, And so then you say, well, what happens next? What happens next in our life? Now, the life that God intends for you is one, uh, and this is the title of the sermon, is the life that God intends for us, and this is what it means to, to live the Christian life, uh, is one of learning to live loved. That's the title of this, learning to live loved because you are loved. And, it, and, and I'm telling you, I cannot overstress to you how important that is for us to get that. And you would think that would be something that we would know, because a lot of us like me grew up in church singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But when you get to be an adult, you don't know it. And I've st- I've, in, I've been in congregations where I've asked, uh, you know, how many of you in here today, you know, uh, love the Lord? And, 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 of course, about every hand will go up, yes, I, you know, I love the Lord. And But if you ever ask them the question, how many of you in here know beyond all shadows of doubt that you are totally, 100% loved by God right this moment, you won't see as many hands go up. And I've done it literally. They, they, they're not convinced about that, because they think God's love fluctuates. It goes up and down with performance. You know, if they're really good, God loves you more. If you read a lot of the Bible, God loves you more. If you go to church, God loves you more. Listen, there's nothing that you can ever do. There's not, there's no sin you've ever committed in the past. There's no sin that you're committing right now, and there's no future sin that you hadn't even done yet that will make God love you less. It's, it's just. It's just And see, your mind can't go there because the world treats you just like that. You do good in the world, they love you more. You do bad, they love you less. You know? But that's not the way God is. And and, and so... uh, it's living out, it's learning to live love constantly, 24 hours a day. This will keep us out of a lot of problems. You learn to live love by God and then you live out of who you already are in Christ Jesus. When the Bible says be ye holy, it's not, it's not telling you to be something that you're not. God's just saying live holy because that's what you are. Where are you holy at? In, in your spirit. Now, if and I, you always hear me say, live out of that, live out of that revelation of, of, who you are. That's why the Bible says, as many as are led by the Spirit. Now, these are the sons of God. When you live out of the Spirit, and and, and I'm talking about you're born again, Spirit. That's what that's what we're talking about. Now, I I, I want to do this quick because we got to you know we use a little time and that's fine. And so I'm going to shorten this up a little bit. But let, let me say this to you. I I don't want you to do like I've done. And maybe somebody's here. You know in, in in I spent decades, no exaggeration here I spent I know two decades praying uh that I would love Jesus more. and in fact, my wife would know I made it my daily prayer of matthew twenty two thirty seven and in matthew twenty two uh, those those verses there, Jesus was approached by uh the Pharisees Now if you read the preceding verses, he had shut the mouth of the Sadducees. And they they come at him. And the Sadducees was a religious group that didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in the resurrection at all. That's why they were sad, you see. See what I did there? They're the Sadducees. And you're going to be sad if you don't believe in the resurrection, I, t- I promise you. So they had came at Jesus and they they throwed curveballs at him about marriage you know and what if a guy gets married twice and when they get to heaven whose wife says she going to be kind of a deal and Jesus said you don't even understand the word of God or you don't understand nothing. And so in other words he he shut the mouth of the the, the Sadducees and and, and, and then in verse 34 of Matthew 22 it says but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees they gathered together and they thought like well the Sadducees they don't know how to do it we're going to approach Jesus and really take him down a notch or two here so one of the Pharisees being a lawyer asked the question to Jesus and he said teacher what you know but he, he was just the Bible said he was trying Jesus he was going to to test him and uh, which is by the way never a good idea um, he's smarter than you are okay but he said teacher which is the great commandment in the law everybody say the law all right, so Jesus answered and said, You should love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He said, This is the first and the great commandment. Now, what I'm trying to get you to understand is there are some Christians today that believe that they can actually fulfill that scripture. And they're kidding themselves. Just because you read that verse and you, you determine that you're going to f- obey that, you're not going to do it. Are you kidding me? Did you not hear what I just read? That's part of the law. You, you can't obey the law. There's only one person who's ever obeyed the law, and that was Jesus, and all the rest of us have broken it. And the Bible says if you've ever broken one law, you're guilty of breaking all of them. So that makes all of us stop our boasting. We have nothing to offer God. You're kidding yourself if you think that just because you determined to love God more, and even if you make it your prayer to love God more, or even if you pray to Jesus and say, Jesus, help me to love you more, none of that's going to work. Take it from a guy that spent 20 years doing it. And I literally made it my daily ritual part of my prayer to pray. This is how my prayer would go back in those decades. I would say, Lord, I, you know, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would increase my capacity to love you more. According to Matthew 22, 37, Lord, I want to love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, with, with all this within me, God. Help me to love you more. And that prayer was never answered. In two decades of praying it. Because it's a law prayer. In the old covenant, the flow of love was from us towards heaven. But in the revelation of grace, the flow of love is from heaven towards earth. For God so loved. You hear preachers talking about people left their first love, and you know, and 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 they and, and that's what I, that's why it got me on that path, was because I had always been told by preachers that the answer to all my problems was I needed to love God more. And if I would simply love God more, that would make me love the world less and my problems would diminish and I would just be a better Christian. And so everything could be solved if I simply, honestly, deep down, loved Jesus more than I did. So I made that my goal. I made that my desire to try to love God more. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. 1 John 2, 15 says this, it, uh, it says, do not love the world. Now, let's just pause there a second. Do not love the world. Well, that can't mean some things that we would say it means. For the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Well, God's not telling you to do something. He, he, he God loves the world, but he's telling you don't love this world system. The enemy the, the, the is called the prince of the power of the air, the God of this world. That's what God's saying, don't love that part of it. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, I grew up hearing preachers preach that verse. And they use that to say, see right there? The reason there's worldliness in the church or the reason that you're being tempted by worldly things is because you don't love God enough. And if you loved God more, you wouldn't be so worldly. Or you wouldn't desire the things of the world. Because he said, not love the world and don't love the things of the world. How many's ever heard it kind of served in that way? Okay, or did I just go to a weird church? Okay, so yeah. So most hands went up, but that's not what the verse says, is it? If you read the verse carefully, it's not what it says. It doesn't say that the problem here is on us not loving God enough. It says if anybody uh, loves the world, the love of, not for, not for. The love of the Father is not in him. The person that is, 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 is tempted to love the world and things of the world is somebody that don't know how much God loves them. The, the problem's not that they don't love God. The problem is they don't know how much God loves them. Uh, let, me you, let me say this to you. How many of you have ever prayed that prayer like I prayed, Lord, help me to love you more? Okay, so that makes me feel not as weird. Thanks for that. How many is here today would like to love the Lord more? I'll go ahead and put my hand up. I really would. There's nothing wrong with that. I think it's a, it's a good desire. To, I want to love the Lord more than, than I do. Well, how's that going to happen? It's not going to happen by me praying. And it's not going to happen because I say I ought to or because I desire or I make it my goal and ambition and aim. So how, how is that going to happen? Uh, let me say this to you. Our love for Jesus is not something that we initiate. We, we don't love him because we determine that we ought to love him. We love him as a response to his love for us. And that's what the Bible teaches. In 1 John 4, 19, it says, 1 John four nineteen, we love him. Because he first loved us. So first love is not you trying to love God. First love is God loving you. So that's why in the book of Revelation, a lot of times preachers will misquote that. And in one of the churches, Laodicean Church, he said that they had left their first love. A lot of times it's quoted they lost their first love. You can't lose your first love because your first love is God loving you. Love did not initiate with you. God is love, so love initiates with God. only thing we do is respond to God's love for us. And the greater the revelation you have of how much that God loves you, then that is how you grow in your love for him. You will only grow in proportion to the revelation of his love for you. And so your love for God can increase, but only to the extent that you receive his love for you. And as you become overwhelmed, over-saturated with the revelation of how much this God loves you. And he loved you while you was yet a sinner. He he there's nothing, God didn't love, love you any more after you got saved than before He before you got saved. And, and, and I know a lot of people will say, amen, to that because they're in church and they know that it's supposed to. But that's the truth. And our minds can't even comprehend a God that's that's like that. There's not anything you could do to make God love you more than he does right this second. I mean, you're there. You got me? You are at the pinnacle of God's love. There's nothing that you can do to make him love you. one iota more than he does right this moment. And there's nothing, no sin you can commit that would make him love you less than he does right now. On your worst day, he loves you the same. On your best day, He loves you the same. God does not fluctuate in his love. His love does not go up and down as a thermometer. God does not change. Love is part of who he is. God is love. He doesn't have it. He is it. The reason God loves is because God's love. He can't help himself. If you could cut God, he would bleed love. And he did on the cross. This is so illustrated in the Bible, and the reason it's so important is before Jesus went to the cross, he's got these 12 disciples, right? Now, he tells all 12 of them, he looks at them at that last supper, and he says, all of you shall abandon me this night. You shall betray me. You, you, you shall be offended at me. And of course, Peter pops off the mouth and says, you know, they might. Don't you like a guy like that in your group? He said, they all may fail you, but I won't. I won't. He said, I'm not only willing to go to Jerusalem with you, but I'll die with you. And Jesus is like, really? You think so? Well, let me say to you, Peter, that before the rooster crows in the morning three times, you will have, uh, twice, you will have denied me that you even know who I am. Peter didn't believe word of it. Jesus said, "All of you is going to abandon me." Now we got at that supper. We've got John the Baptist reclining his head on Jesus's breast. John loved Jesus, man. He really loved Jesus. And in fact, when Jesus had told him one time, sitting there, he said, "Now one of you shall, you know, betray me, become a traitor tonight." And they were all asking. And this is how the, the Jewish people do it. The American people said, I bet it's that guy. They, they said, is it I, Lord? Is it I? Is it me? Uh, Peter asked John to ask him. Because Peter felt that John was closer to the Lord. So he whispers to John and says, John, you ask him who it is that's going to betray him. So John does, and Jesus whispers to John's ear and says, the one whom I'm about to give a sop of bread. In the Bible, the bread was really hard, and they would dip it in olive oil to soften it, and Jesus handed it to the person sitting on his other side, who was the treasurer, the most trusted disciple. His name was Judas Iscariot. You you don't make the treasurer the money keeper of the group. to be If you don't trust that guy, he's not the treasurer. He's in charge of the money, right? So Judas, as far as we know post-story, but pre-story, he's the most trusted. So Jesus hands the bread to Judas, and then Jesus leans over to Judas Iscariot and says, "That, that you're going to do, go do it quickly. And Judas slips down the stairs. Judas does out into the cold night air and goes and sells him out for 30 pieces of silver. Now they go to the garden to pray. Jesus is arrested. You know the story. And in that moment, they all abandon Jesus. Everybody runs to protect their self, including John. Now, Peter does what Jesus told him he would do. He denies that He even knows Jesus. And he curses in front of this little girl at the fire. He's trying to warm himself. And she said, you're a Galilean. And he said, you're a liar. And he said, I don't even know who you're talking about. And then, then Peter heard the, 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 the rooster crow. And he remembered the Lord's words. And he said he went, he went out away, and went away and wept, wept bitterly. As far as Peter was concerned, he was done. Disciple days are over. He, he's toast. It's over. He had no ambition to do anything other than go back to what he was doing before he ever met Jesus, and that's go back to the fishing business. So now they all put on a very poor performance. And they all save their own hides, and they left Jesus with the Roman soldiers and ran. Now they crucified Jesus, and out of all those disciples, of course Judas, we know that story, sad ending, he tries to pay for his betrayal, and he hangs himself. How many knows even though he hung himself, he still didn't pay for his sin? So he hangs himself. we got 11 apostles left, disciples. At the crucifixion, They are nowhere to be seen, none of them. This is Jesus' closest guys. These are the guys that Jesus was praying with in the garden and said, please, could you pray with me but just for one hour? And they all went to sleep. About 12 noon, they put Jesus on the cross at 9 a.m. in the morning. Around 12 noon, one apostle shows up. His name is John. He shows up at the foot of the cross. The reason they didn't want to be seen at the cross because if they're doing that to your rabbi, you're next. If they're crucifying him, you're on the list to be crucified next. So to save their own hides, none of them showed up there. Whether they were watching from afar off, we don't know. They just were not present. They're not mentioned in Scripture. And I tell you who were there was those women. These women tough. You ain't going to keep Mama Bear away. So Jesus' mother, Mary, is standing there. And Mary, who was Mary the playgirl of Magdala, of whom Jesus cast out seven demons, she too was there. These women were standing there weeping and Mary watching her son die, brutally being crucified. John walks up beside those women that he knew. In fact, Mary, uh, that the uh, They they knew him well. And this is John writing the gospel of John under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but John nonetheless is writing the book. And John refers to himself for the first time in Scripture. It says, when Jesus saw his mother and the women and the disciple whom he loved standing there, he says to his mother, woman, behold thy son. And he says to John, behold my mother. What he was literally saying is, I'm about to leave. Take care of my mom, John. John's like, I got it. Now, my question many, many years ago is when I was reading those scriptures, I was reading it, and it says, the disciple whom Jesus loved, standing there. And my heart asked the question to God, God, why can he stand when others are not? Why can this apostle make it and stand there at the foot of the cross? Where are the other ones? Why can they not stand? Why are they not there? Why are they so weak? And God says it's because of what the Scripture says. Read it again. The disciple whom the Lord loved standing. We have grown up in churches that have tried to make us love God. How many of you love the Lord today? But nobody ever started the services saying, how many of you in here today know that you are absolutely adored by God, saved and sinners? How many know you're loved by God? We would be different people if we started our services like that instead of saying, how many of you love the Lord? And then so what we do is we get on our tippy toes and we reach real high and we try our best to love God, which is a failed mission. You can't love God until you know how much he loves you. And then in the 19th chapter of the book of John is where all this transpires. To the end of the, of the book of John, John refers to himself four more times. We have five times that John refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. When Jesus is out fishing, uh, the disciples are out fishing, on the Sea of Galilee and Jesus in his resurrected body appears and he hollers, children, have you caught anything? Have you any meat? And they said no. And then it says that John recognized that that was Jesus. And it says, and the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, that is the Lord. He was the first to recognize. People that know that they are loved by God will be the first to recognize a God thing when others do not recognize that it's God. Secondly, this shows us that you need to be in relationship with people in the church who can recognize that this is God. This is not a devil. This is not a demon coming to kill you. This is Jesus walking on the water. And so John says to his comrade, to Peter, that is the Lord. Peter believed John, took off his garment, dove into the water, and out swam the boat to get to Jesus. Is there anybody that you know that you've got confidence in, if they pointed and said, that's the Lord, that you would go to swimming just on their word? You need people like that. And the more that we know that we're loved by God, the quicker we'll recognize the things of God. It's so important that you know that. This is the answer as to why John got over. See, John blew it. And can I say this to you in love? You're going to blow it too. It may not be the big catastrophic, you know, H-bomb, but in living this life, there's going to be moments and times that you're just going to blow it. You fill in the blank. You're going to blow it. And you know you will because all you got to do is look in your past. You already have. And when you do, you will have to make a decision Does God still love me? Does he love me the same? Am I going to go to church anymore or not? Am I going to read the Bible? See, how are you going to over that? And who are the people that's going to quickly get back to business and get over it and get back on course are the people that know that they are the disciple that the Lord loves. And John, something happened to John. And John came into the revelation that, that he loves me. And it was something about that the fact that John had abandoned Jesus just like the other apostles, yet he saw that he loved him the same. Jesus had not fluctuated. And in fact, he loved him and he, 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 he called on John to, to care for his mother. There's no greater trust that he could display than saying, that's my mom, please take care of her. When John got that revelation, it changed his life. And from then on, he always referred to himself. And see, that is a 180 degree than most Christians refer to themselves. They're always trying, I love the Lord. Well, I know you do. But only in proportion to his love for you that you have come into to the revelation of. So if you want to grow in the love of God, then what you, your prayer should be this. Don't ever pray to God to help you to love him more. No. Pray this. Lord, help me to get a revelation of how much you love me. God, would you please help me to, to, to receive the revelation of how much that you love me. I pray that often for people around here. I say, Lord, I'll lay hands on them. I say, Lord, I pray that, that he or she will have a revelation of how much you love them. Because I know that is the key to everything. And that's the key to them loving God. In Luke chapter 7 it's greatly illustrated because we've got a Pharisee that had asked Jesus to come to supper at his house, and Jesus accepted the invitation and went. and And, and in those days, in, the, in those days, they're not sitting at a table like you and I sit. They recline around a table that's literally on the floor, and, and they're leaning on their elbows. and And it's just men, and the women didn't eat with them and eat together. And they're in a totally different room, and the men are sitting around. and That was just a culture. And so here in this moment, Jesus is a rabbi. And obviously the Pharisees respected him, at least this Pharisee did, as a rabbi and a teacher because he invited him into his home. And Jesus is there, and he's reclining with the men, and he's, he's having his food. And here comes in a woman, and, 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 and literally in, the, in the, the Greek reference to her, it, she's a prostitute. And she comes in, and she comes in with, uh, with ointment and, and with fragrant oils, and, and she comes in weeping. And she comes to Jesus, and so his he, he's elbows is in, and he, he, the food's here, and his feet are out this way, and she goes to his feet, and she starts crying and dropping her tears, it says, on his feet, and she dries his feet with her hair. She takes her hair down, and she uses her hair to dry his feet, and she kisses his feet with her lips, and she takes the fragrant perfume, and she anoints his feet, and she does not cease. Now think of what she's doing. This woman is a prostitute. So she uses all, she's not just pouring oil on him, she's pouring her life on him. she's, She's pouring everything that she used for the enemy in her business, so to speak. She's taking her hair, her lips, tears, her perfume, and she's not putting it off on strange men. She's pouring it on Jesus. That Pharisee said to himself, if this man was truly a prophet, he would know what type of woman this is that is touching him. And Jesus perceived his thought. And he looked at him, and this Pharisee's name was Simon. Don't confuse him with Simon Peter. This is a different Simon. And he said, Simon, do you see this woman? That's literally what it says in the Bible. Do you see this woman? The problem is we don't see people. We don't see them, really see them. We just see the beggar on the corner. We just see the person that's in our way. We just, we don't see them. But when Jesus looks at people, he sees them. He said, Simon, do you see this woman? He said, since I have came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet, to wash my feet with her tears. Yet I came into your home and you did not wash my feet, which was customary and expected as a courtesy to those that had walked the dusty streets that you would offer that their feet would be washed as they entered into your home. Simon offered not that. He said, this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet. He said, and when I came into your home, you did not kiss me, which was a customary custom even in the Jewish culture of men to give a kiss to a brother as he come in and kissed him on his cheek and welcome to my home. Simon did not do that. Jesus said, you've done none of these things, yet this woman has not ceased but to do those things. And he said, though she is a sinner, her sins, which are many, Jesus said, he said, they are forgiven. And he looks at her, and he says the same thing to this woman that he had said in a couple of previous chapters in the book of Luke to the man who they tore the roof off and lowered him down. And Jesus says to that man, remember, he says, man, your sins are forgiven you. Remember that? I love preaching that. Because here is a man that Jesus pronounced forgiveness of sin to who didn't say boo. Now, most of us have grown up saying that the only way we get our sins forgiven is we confess them, which is a lie. It is a lie. There is only one verse in the entirety of the New Testament that I don't have the time To expound upon in 1 John two and nine, where it says, "If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness." That is talking to agnostics who don't even uh, people that don't even believe that there is this thing called sin. They're not even admitting that there is a sin problem. Jesus, the Bible says that if you'll just confess that there is sin, that you got a problem with sin. Then he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and then to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. When is a person cleansed from all unrighteousness? When they're born again. So he couldn't be talking to Christians because a Christian would have no unrighteousness. See how that works? So he can't be. So don't apply that to Christians. Well, you commit a sin, you got to confess it, Lord. You know, and you got to keep the ship clean and you got to swab the decks and you got to make sure. And so you start every prayer, Lord, forgive me all my sins. It's just religious lives you're forgiven and there's not a bloody thing you can do about it you're already forgiven you were forgiven 2,000 years ago before you were born by that one sacrifice Jesus took away the sin of the world which I need to inform you included yours so God don't have to have your permission nor your confession to forgive you of sin because your confession is not what causes God Almighty to forgive of sin. The Bible says there's only one thing that causes God to forgive of sin, and that is the shedding of blood. And not just any blood. It has to be holy, righteous, perfect blood. And the only blood that's been shed like that is Jesus on the cross. And by that shedding of that blood on that cross in that sacrifice, he removed the sin problem. That did not make, nor does it mean that every person on the earth is now therefore saved. Because forgiveness does not equal salvation or life. Jesus, God did not come to the earth to say you needed forgiveness. God came to the earth. I mean, that's part of, but he said, I've come that they might have life. When Adam and Eve sinned, they died. It wasn't that God's mad, they need to ask my forgiveness. No, if they died, now they need life. And I've come that they might have life. You people say, I got saved. I give my life to God. You didn't give your life to God because you didn't have any life to give him. I gave my life to the Lord. No, you didn't. You, You didn't give. This is not an exchange. You didn't hand God something. He handed you something. Are you kidding? That's religion. The Bible said you were dead in trespasses and sin. You had no life. You're dead. You're a walking dead person. That's why you're trying everything to fill that void. Hey, try this drug. It might kill you, but it might make you feel better. (laughs) Okay. I'll give it a go. How could you? What kind of salesman would you have to be to sell somebody something like that that says, you know, try this drug? Uh, One out of every four people that snort this will become so addicted that they will give up everything valuable just to get this. You want to try it? Oh, sure. How could you? What kind of salesman must you be to, conv, you know, to convince somebody to do that? Because people are hurting, they are empty, they are dead, their spirits dead, they're cut off from, from that communion and fellowship with God, and, and that's why they'll try anything. Hey, if you'll have sex with hundred people, you'll feel better, really. So they try it. They'll try whatever, and they just spend their life. You know, be a billionaire, that'll make you feel better. And then you get all the you know, the money, and you still don't feel any better. How many times have we seen people from Elvis to, oh, I, mean, I just read another one this week, and, and they get everything that most of us in here want, or well, we think we want it. And then they get it, and then they're miserable. Ted Turner said, I would trade it all just for one moment of peace. That's what he wrote. He's a billionaire. He said, i would give it all up just to have some real peace. And could I tell him and you that peace is free? You don't get peace at the Walgreens in a pill or in a bottle or in a drug or in a relationship. You get it from Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace. Jesus didn't come to give you peace. He came to be your peace. Big difference. Big difference. And so Jesus looked at this woman. He said, woman, your sins are forgiven you. He said, your faith has saved you. She she walked out of there. It says that when she came in there, she came in as a sinner. When she walked out, she walked out as saved. She didn't ask the Lord to forgive her. All she did was pour her life out. What she had, you know, that she'd been given to the to the world, she just said, there's something in him and his goodness here. And she went after that. It was him. She just wanted him. Jesus said, woman, you're forgiven. Your sins are forgiven you. And then they did just like the other folks in the room where they tore the roof off and, Lord, the, the paralyzed guy, they said, who can forgive sins? But, God, they got all upset about it. Because that was God there forgiving sin. And I told you this story. The reason God could forgive and he hadn't been to the cross yet is because he was here to go to the cross. It wasn't like he was going to leave and bypass the cross. He despised the shame, but for the glory that was set before him, he endured the cross. And he came to die. And in that day, his death and the shedding of his blood, he would take away, he would do what John the Baptist pointed at him at the baptism service and said, Behold the Lamb of God that doesn't cover but takes away the sin of the world. And and, and that's that's what Jesus did. He, he he took it away. And if you and, and until you accept that truth, listen to me, you cannot live loved. Because if you think that God's got a sin record against you, and I know people say a lot of stuff, and there's so much confusion stuff said from pulpits. You know, I grew up hearing that the Holy Spirit's convicting you of sin. And Christians write about it, and I put out a blog some time ago that the Holy Spirit is not convicting you of sin. And oh, did the religious devils reply back to that blog. The Holy Spirit is God. Am I right? That's what the Bible teaches. The Holy Spirit is God. The Bible says over and over in this new covenant that God remembers your sins no more. So what game are you playing with your head? If the Holy Spirit is God and God does not keep a record of your sin, he remembers your sins no more. It says it over and over. Then who what is he reminding you of? That would make God a liar. Because God said, I won't remember your sins, and then you turn around and say, The Holy Spirit convicted me of my sins. You, you gotta decide. You can't lick both sides of the stamp. You know what I'm saying? You, you got to decide what heresy you're going to believe here. God's not convicting you. You know what is convicting you? Read the Bible. It says your conscience. Your conscience convicts you. Your conscience, that, that on board system. You, you, I mean, before I ever read the Bible, I knew that I didn't want somebody to murder me, stab me, molest me, I knew I didn't want them to hit me in the head with a hammer. I didn't have to get hit in the head with a hammer to know I didn't want you to hit me in the head with a hammer. I just come with some onboard intelligence that I know what I don't want you to do to me without reading it in the Bible. It's my conscience. And therefore, I know when I do wrong. Because my conscience, my conscience. Now Paul said there were some people in the New Testament they were lost, and he said their conscience had become seared as by hot iron, and they'd become less sensitive to their evil. But when you're born again, the Holy Spirit's on board. He's living within you. And, I, you, and then right now people are thinking, well, I thought the, Holy, the Bible says the Holy Spirit convicts uh, of sin. That's in John, and John is Jesus was talking, and he's talking about the Holy Spirit, and he, said he, he says the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, he will convict the world of sin for they know not God. He convicts the world of sin. Because until they realize that sin is the problem, they won't come to the solution, which is the Savior. But once you're born again, you're not the world, and you're not a sinner any longer. You're a saint, and the Holy Spirit's not convicting you. The whole, the, what the Holy Spirit does for a Christian is he tries to convince you, which is the same word, by the way, in Greek. It means convict. You tell an American convict, they think courtroom, judge, gavel, but it's to, it's to, the Holy Spirit's trying to convince you that you are righteous. And that's what God wants you to confess. He don't want you to run around hollering about your sin. He wants you to run around hollering about what the new birth has done to you. And when you do blow it and you do blow it, you say, I, you still, this is their confession that brings you out of that hole. I am the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. And that didn't change because you sinned. Now, there are some people that think that if you teach grace and you preach grace like I'm preaching this moment, that it makes you want to go out and sin like crazy. And that's just foolishness. You're telling me when you start experiencing how much this God loves you, that it makes you want to go out and, and, and commit spiritual adultery on him? No way. It makes you love him more makes you love this world system less. And it makes your revelation of your heart grow in your love for God. And you know what? When you do blow it like John, you'll get over it quicker than other people. That's the people that get over it. You know, wonder I've, I've pastored now for a long time, 34 years, and I've seen people just blow it. I, I I watched a couple of them when I was a young pastor. I watched them, you know, they came to my church and they were excited. And they was like on fire and they were going for God. And, you know, and, and they both had gotten saved in my church. And then they had a cruise uh scheduled. They went on a cruise and they never came back to church. <laughs> I remember this guy was a fireman and I I went to, you know, and weeks and weeks ago. I mean I never saw him again. Never come back to church, wouldn't answer the calls. I mean, how did a cruise kill you? I thought I thought you went on vacation. And so I go to the fire department where this guy worked and 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 that's I meant I was going to talk to him. I mean, I was going, and so I I I, I, t- I said, "Can I talk?" I went into the fire station. I said, "You mind coming? I want to talk to you." And he's he's walking out. You know, he's like, this man tracked me down. And I, I called his name. I said, "Man, what what what's up? You're you going to cruise. We never see you." Long story, real short. You know, he he done things that he wasn't supposed to do on the cruise boat. He sinned. He got around all of that, and then he and he committed some sins. He said. Well, in his mind, he's like Peter. He's gone back, you know, hey, I'm done for. And, and and I would like to tell you that, you know, the guy to you know, turn around came back next Sunday, he's, you know, he's preaching to the millions today. But that's just not how the story goes. I didn't have the understanding then that I have of God's grace now. And it was hard to me to convince that guy that God still loved him, even though I told him that. But he didn't believe a word of it. He thought God related to him based on his performance. And his performance had been pretty sorry. And he felt like that God didn't like him no more. And as far as I know, he's never gone back to church since then. That's sad, isn't it? And yet other people would go and blow it and and by some others' estimation blow it even greater than that guy. And they turn around and they'll come right back and get over it and go on with their lives. What's the difference? Being a disciple who's trying to love God or being a disciple who knows that God loves them? That's your difference. Stand with me, please. Did you get anything out of this today? Amen. (laughs) We praise you, Father. Amen. As always, man, me, myself, my my elders, these precious men, and others as well, but we're here to pray with you if you want prayer for any reason. Um, it, it doesn't matter what it is. Healing, What it doesn't matter. And we don't ever want to just be like, you know, okay, to me, you know, you're gone, get out of here, go eat chicken, you know, kind of deal. But if you want personal prayer, Please know that it's always available to you here at Grace Point. I'm going to dismiss the church. If you want prayer, all you got to is roll this way. I'll be standing right here. My elders are really good. And if they see a bunch of people coming, they'll come help me. Come on, darling. Amen. I love it when people don't wait. I just appreciate that. Uh, I, I appreciate that. We love you guys. And uh, so if you want prayer, it doesn't matter what it is. Uh, we're always here to pray with you, and we'd love to. Maybe God's done something. I mean, today was so awesome as we just, Pastor Johanna's urging, we, we just went for it. We, we, we don't want you living in depression, cause, and neither, God doesn't. And boy, I know what that feels like. I've been there a few times. And I think probably we all have, like she said. And it doesn't make you a last stand. It just It's just an enemy trying to attack you and rob, rob you of your joy that's been given to you by God. But just know God doesn't change. He, doesn't, he never changes. And that is such an awesome revelation to just walk in that. Learn to live loved. Isn't that good? Learn. You have to learn it. Some learn it quicker. But learn to live your life as the beloved of God. And it will change everything. I promise you will sin less. You will sin less. You will you'll, you'll, you'll sin less on accident than you ever tried to not sin on purpose. You know what I'm saying? It's just easier to do it that way, okay? So, Father, I thank you for the word of God that reveals to us how much you love us. I pray that every person here will come into a revelation of how much you love them individually, how much that that they are loved by you. I pray that revelation will flood their heart in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. We love you.